want to give a quick little uh, um, um, public service announcement. Um, this is called, every time a pastor wears this, it's called a stole. And it is to mimic a yoke. So when you are ordained as a pastor, you are yoked to Christ. Remember in Matthew, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, I don't know why he said that way. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly what being a pastor is. But it is certainly blessed, and it is certainly a gift. So anyway, when you are ordained, you are, you are uh, given a stole to wear. And when I got my stoles for my father, we went and we chose what the images would be on our stoles. And so when it was time for me to pick the one for Advent, the Advent season is my favorite season, um, probably because it's the color blue and that makes my eyes really sparkle. Um, and so I love the Advent season. I look so good in blue. Um, but... Um, uh, I had to choose, and what we chose, and I like to share this whenever we read Matthew 11, is you will see this is the stump of Jesse. That's what this is. And the Advent season is to remind us, you'll see there's a stump, and then it springs forth, and then there's a cross to represent Jesus. And so each of my stoles have a different uh, symbol on it, but since we read from chapter 11 of Isaiah today, which is one of the great chapters in the Bible, it's the story of the peaceable kingdom, it talks about that this stump of Jesse, that someone uh, from the lineage of Jesse, and if, if you wonder who Jesse was, um, it was Jesse was King David's father. And then from King David, the lineage goes to Jesus, who was born in where? Bethlehem, the city of David. And so this Messiah was to come from the lineage of David, of Jesse, and that's why this is here. So, public service announcement for you about, about Advent. And so I will share about all the different stoles throughout the year with you uh, as we get to them. So, let us pray. Lord God, may the words of our, my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Early on in my ministry here at Bethel, I took a youth mission trip to Cincinnati, and we got to know Pastor Fred Cook, who at the time was the pastor at First Lutheran Church uh, in downtown Cincinnati. And Pastor Fred is an incredibly unique uh, gentleman. He's done a lot of inner city ministry uh, has a real heart for those in the marginalized, and he also is an amazing, award-winning potter. And so when Heidi and I have had occasions to have make some pottery, either a communionware set or something else, we have asked him to make those special gifts. Well, some friends of mine for graduating from seminary, and we went to Fred about making a communion set for them. Um, and in meeting with Fred about it, he, he told me that uh, we told him what we wanted, and then he asked us this question. He said, well, okay, so tell me, how perfect do you want it to be? How perfect do you want your stuff to be? And I said, well, what do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I can set up the kiln, he says, to make it come out exactly like another piece that I've already made. Or I can just leave the kiln alone. Now the thing is, if I do that, if I do it that way, I will not know exactly how it will turn out. The colors, the textures. 
The fire will shape and mold the piece alone. It might, may not be as perfect, but I think there's something holy in the idea that it isn't perfect. Instead, it will be molded and shaped by the fire alone. You don't know exactly what you'll get, but you'll get exactly what the fire intends. Fire, like all of our elements, is mysterious. It is both constructive and destructive at the same time. While fire brings warmth and heat and light, we also know that it can destroy, burn, and kill. There is a gift of fire, and there is a threat with fire. Both are real. And indeed, both are biblical themes. The image of fire permeates our gospel lesson today. We encounter, here on this second Sunday of Advent, our Advent friend, John the Baptizer, who shows up this time of year with his locusts and wild honey and a vision of judgment. A vision of an axe lying at the root of a tree, ready to cut it down if it does not bear fruit and is subsequently tossed into a fire. A vision of a winnowing fork, clearing a threshing floor, gathering the worthwhile wheat into the granary, and sending the unusual chaff into an unquenchable fire. In her book called Gospel Medicine, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, who is one of the best uh, preachers of the 20. 20th and 21st century, wrote this. She said, one of the most frightening things about John's vision of judgment is that unquenchable fire of his. It is not possible to hear it without a vivid image of hell. But if you read the Bible, you have to wonder about that fire. Throughout Holy Scripture, fire is the one reliable sign of the presence of God. God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. A pillar of fire guides the people of Israel through the wilderness after their escape from Egypt. When Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, it looks to those below as if the mountain itself is being devoured by fire. She writes, I do not mean to minimize the danger. This is not a safe fire. It can still burn and kill. But it is God's own fire. The fire of God's presence. Fire that wants to speak to us, guide us, instruct us, save us. It is the fire of a potter who wants to make useful vessels out of damp clay. It is the fire of a jeweler who wants to refine pure gold from rough ore. It does not have to be the fire of destruction. It may also be the fire of transformation. A fire that both lights 
changes us, melts us down, and reforms us more nearly to the image of God. It is the fire with which Jesus Himself baptizes us. Inviting us into that bright, hot relationship with Him. So that even when another fire seems hell-bent on consuming us, we will find that we have company. And that even in the hottest regions of our own personal hells, we will not ever, because of Christ, sweat alone. Indeed, God's desire for you and I is not damnation, burning, and want. God's desire for you and I, for this world that God loves, whom God has come near to be with, is salvation, healing, abundance, and yes, transformation. God is persistent in seeking to spark that fire in you, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. In his book, Pillows of Grace, Ken Loder wrote these words. And it's kind of a prayer. O persistent God, deliver me from assuming your mercy is gentle. Pressure me that I may grow more human, not through the lessening of my struggles, but through the expansion of them that will undam me and unbury my gifts. Deepen my hurt, he writes, until I learn to share it and myself openly and my needs honestly. Sharpen my fears, he writes, until I name them and release the power that I have locked in them and they in me. Accentuate my confusion, he writes, until I shed those grandiose expectations that divert me from the small, glad, beautiful gifts of the now and the here and me. Expose my shame, he writes, where it shivers, crouched behind the curtains of propriety, until I can laugh at last through my common frailties and failures, laugh my way toward becoming whole. Deliver me from just going through the motions and wasting everything I have, which is today. A chance. A choice. My creativity. My call. O persistent God, let how much it all matters pry me off dead center. So if I am moved inside to tears or sighs or screams or smiles or dreams, they will be real. And I will be in touch with who I am, who you are, and who my sisters and brothers are too. The reality is for all of us that transformation found in the saving promise of Christ does not ever come cheap. Grace is not cheap. And we cannot ever act as if it is. The only response John tells us to this grace, the nearness of the kingdom of heaven that is promised to us, is that we repent. 
that we do our own about face, our own acknowledgement of where we were going before is not the path that God has for us. Acknowledging what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised yet to do in our lives allows us to transform and change if only because we have burnt, been burnt just a little bit. I really like the definition that Frederick Beekner has given for repentance in his book called Wishful Thinking. Beekner writes these words. He says, Repentance is not so much saying, I'm sorry for past sin, but it's instead looking forward to the future anew. The future that is assured in baptism, the future that is available to us, even as we wander in the wilderness, even as we stand maybe too close to the flame from time to time and feel the intensity of whatever personal fiery hell we happen to be going through at that particular moment, Beekner says we can dare because of Christ to look forward to the future not so much Repenting and saying we're sorry for past sins, but looking forward to the future and saying, wow, what a gift. Ours is the God of wow moments. Moments that we can't control, kind of like a fire molding art of pottery. Ours is a God of molding us and shaping us into kingdom people, of refining and transforming us beyond all we could have ever imagined becoming, and doing so in the midst of and through all of the scorching, boiling, swirling, blazing, and blistering moments that we might ever experience in our lives. You may remember the um, movie... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's amazing. My favorite part of that is when the young uh, children learn of the mythical Aslan. And Susan, one of the young girls, says, well, she sees this lion. Is he safe? And if you remember the words of Mr. Beaver, they are so poignant today. He responds to her, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. Indeed, the unquenchable fire of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, friends, is not safe. But the biblical witness is clear that it is good. And it is for your good. And it is for my good. And it is for the good of our world. In Jesus' name, amen.